But you know, as I think about this new year, I think about what God would have us to do. You know, this is a challenge for us. Uh, God wants to challenge us to be his people and, and to do his work. And, you know, I've been trying to see where God would lead us, especially these first few uh, sermon series as we prepare ourselves to enter into a new year and be what God wants us to be. I've been working in my heart and life and praying through those things. And, you know, when you're talking about vision and you're talking about purpose, at least for us as a church, the place that we ought to begin is always the Scripture. The Scripture is the place that we ought to derive our vision from. It should be the revelation of God that speaks to us and challenges us. So I've been reading through different scriptures. Uh, Leslie knows this week I've been really uh, wrestling with how to begin uh, this new year and how to uh, bring us where we need to be. And God kept leading me back to Acts chapter 11. Now Acts chapter 11 has been on my heart for some time because I was getting ready to close a ministry at Zachary and also to open a new ministry here at Temple. And God has just used this passage in my heart to challenge the church to be what he wants it to be. So I want you to look with me, if you will, today in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. It says there, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. You know, a few years ago, I was at Blue Mountain College. That's my alma mater, the little Baptist college up North Mississippi. And I remember going through the New Testament. I remember Dr. Meeks, our professor, challenging us to kind of read through the New Testament and trying to get the background of the New Testament, trying to get our bearings as college students. And we came across the book of Acts. And the book of Acts was so exciting for me. I'm talking about when you look at the book of Acts, you see the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in his people and the church about the, the mission that he had called it to be. It was exciting to me to see God's work in the book of Acts. And then I was reminded, we serve the same God today. The same God that worked in the book of Acts and in those churches is the same God that works through us even today. And when I came to Acts chapter 11 and I began to read about the church at Antioch in particular, I was impressed by how God was working in that church. And I remember Dr. Meeks talking to us about being a part of a first-class church, a church that you were proud to be a member, a church that you knew that God was working in and accomplishing his task. And he pointed to the church at Antioch as a great example 
for any church today to follow. So over the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about the church at Antioch in these passages. And I want you to see the great characteristics of a first-class church. You'll see that Temple embodies so many of those characteristics already. But God always challenges us, no matter where we are or who we are, He challenges us to be better and to grow in Him. And I want you to see how God would take these characteristics and hopefully speak to our hearts and lives about where we should be before Him. In Acts chapter 11, you see this church at Antioch. You see it birth. You see it begin. It really, you begin to see a, um, a gradual move toward the church at Antioch. Beforehand, the center of the church was basically Jerusalem, as you would have expected. Jerusalem is where the apostles begin. It's where they begin teaching and preaching, and people come to know Christ, and it's a natural base. But we're reminded here that very quickly persecution came within the church's life. Persecution from the Jewish leadership from uh, different aspects of the Sanhedrin, the council. Persecution was coming upon the believers. So what did God do? What God always does, right? God takes difficult situations and he brings good out of them. We serve that kind of God. So what God does is he takes the persecution and he uses it to advance the good news of Christ. And when the people are going out, running away from persecution... What are they doing? They're preaching and they're teaching the name of Christ. God uses the most difficult moments, and this is what he does here. And the church at Antioch is developed out of persecution. God births it. And the characteristics that you begin to see unfold in this church are rather apparent to us. For example, characteristic number one. This church was a tradition-free church church second sermon brother reggie has already blown his ministry right (laughs) i mean already into tradition free church i think i need to qualify this before i even make the point from the scripture okay i want you to know and you probably already know this but i am a very traditional kind of person you can probably look at me and tell that i'm not way out there huh the hair, the, you know, just kind of a traditional guy. I drive Leslie nuts because I'm so traditional about so many different things. I actually love tradition. I love routines. I love things being almost exactly the same. I don't like surprises. How about you all? Some of you in the same boat I am? When I go out to eat somewhere. I'm going to order basically the same thing at that same restaurant every time. Again, Leslie will say, why don't you try this? Try something. Why would I want to try something? But you you ought to try this. This is very good. But I'm spending a lot of money here. And I know I'm going to like this. And if I try that, I may not like that. And so when I go, it's just the standard kind of order. Again, some of you are there. You're shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. You're there with me. Or otherwise, you're frustrated with people like me, right? (laughs) So I'm a tradition kind of guy. I I love tradition. I love tradition in my life. I love little habits and routines and traditions. You know, one of the things that I was blessed with, even 
to come to temple. Uh, as I spoke with the committee about why I would even consider coming to temple, one of the reasons is because of the great tradition and the great heritage, the great legacy that Temple Baptist Church has had. And I've heard about it since I've been in Louisiana for eight and a half years. I'd heard about the legacy of Temple Baptist Church. I'd heard of Dr. McGee and his preaching and a great Bible expositor. I'd known Dr. Rick and I'd seen him and I'd heard all of the good things that had happened at Temple Baptist Church. You know what? I've even seen Temple products. I've seen them. I've pastored them. And they were good people who loved the Lord and loved Christ. You know, when I saw that, I was thinking about the tradition and the heritage. So I always want to affirm tradition and, and heritage because that's who I am. So why in the world would you say, Brother Reggie, or Dr. Reggie, I guess you want to call me, how do you say right here in the beginning that we ought to be a tradition-free? Well, maybe tradition-free is too strong. That was the word that was given to me by Dr. Meeks, but maybe it was a little too strong. We ought to affirm tradition, but we ought not to allow tradition to keep us from being obedient to Christ. I want to show you what I'm talking about here. Again, in Acts chapter 11, it says as these people went across because they had been persecuted, they were scattered, they were traveling all over, as they went out, they were preaching the word of Christ. But notice in verse 19, it said in the beginning they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Verse 20, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So get this. In those opening days of the church's life, they were going out and they were preaching and they were teaching. But notice, they were selective in their preaching and teaching. They were bringing the message of Christ to the Jews only. Now that would be a a natural place to find fertile soil for the gospel. I mean, the Jewish individuals, they had the background of the Old Testament. They knew that there was a Messiah coming. It was a natural place to begin. And remember, God had said that he was going to take the gospel, the good news, to the Jews first. And certainly he did. So here they are teaching and preaching to the Jews only. But when they get to Antioch, they have run into more of a Gentile population and they begin to say, we ought to preach to the Gentiles as well. The Gentiles need to hear the gospel of Christ. The tradition may have been that we were preaching to the Jews, but I'm saying to you, we need to make sure that we are preaching to the Gentiles. And could we collectively as God's people today say amen? amen. Why? Because most of us in this place come from a Gentile heritage. I am so thankful that that church at Antioch, that those people who were going out with the gospel of Christ, that they did not stop with the Jewish people, but they were preaching to the Gentiles as well. I am thankful that I come to a Savior who is not the Savior of an exclusive group, of individuals, but he, he is the Savior who is open to any and everyone who will come and commit their lives and have faith in him. So here you have the church at Antioch. It was not bound by tradition, but it was open to the obedience 
that it should have before Christ. Again, this is always a challenge for me. Affirming the heritage and the tradition, being the traditional guy that I am, and yet allowing God to work in my life to show me His will and to be willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient. I think that's what God would want us to do in this coming year. Whatever it takes for us to fulfill the will of God in our lives. That we should not be bound simply by tradition. Actually, this has always been the challenge for me, and it it constantly is, um, of weighing the difference between tradition and truth. Tradition and truth. I tell you, I'm a very traditional guy. That's probably because of my raising. I was raised in a small Southern Baptist church, traditional church. My folks are very traditional in the way they look at things, and they have impressed that upon me. They have marked me, if you will. Leslie just said amen. Absolutely. They have marked me. I am so traditional, and there's so many different things. That now, though, I try to weigh it. Is this, what, is this the truth of Scripture? Because, look, the authority for my life is this Scripture. It should be the authority for yours. It doesn't matter what somebody thinks or what somebody says. It is the Scripture that is the authority. This is the truth of our lives. We're going to talk more about it in a few weeks when we have our Sunday school emphasis and we're going to talk about authentic truth. But as of now, let me just simply say for you that truth should always trump tradition. Always. We should be a people committed to the truth. So when you look at this church and you think about its characteristics, first you'll notice that it's a tradition-free church. But also, as you read through this, you will see that it is a grace-filled church. That it is a grace Field church. I love verses 22 and 23 in particular. Notice in verse 22 it says, The news of these things. The news of what things? Well, the church at Antioch was advancing the gospel, it was proclaiming Christ, it was making a difference, and the church was growing, and people were coming into the congregation. And the news of these great things. I would say to you, we need more good news like that going out from our churches today. Would you agree? We've got enough bad news. I'm praying for churches that get on fire for the Lord Jesus and they see people saved and discipled and they see people changed and transformed into the image of Christ and that that kind of news goes out from churches. There are too many churches that have the bad things. The bad things happening. But I pray in this coming year that it would be the good news of what God is doing at Temple Baptist Church that would go forth from Ruston to Louisiana to our nation and beyond as we make a difference for the kingdom. But it says good news had reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now you can tell they're Baptist because when they hear good news, they're suspicious. Right? They hear good news down in Jerusalem. And they say, we got to find out what's going on up there in Antioch. 
We hear that there are good things happening. We hear that people are being saved. We hear that they're taking the message to the Gentiles. We need to find out for ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I am so proud they chose Barnabas. Barnabas. Remember, the encourager, the son of exhortation, the encourager. Can you imagine today if they had gotten the wrong person to go up to Antioch? Oh, you've got some people in mind right now, right? <laughs> Wouldn't have turned out so well. But here they chose Barnabas, the great encourager. And it says that as he comes up to Antioch, verse 23, look at this. When he came and had seen the grace of God. Did you get that? It was as though the grace of God was manifest. It was visible to him. I think that's tremendous. I mean, to be able to walk into a place and just sense and see the grace of God. This must have been grace-filled people. What does grace mean? The classical definition that I've heard all of my life as I was coming up in the church. Grace, the unmerited favor of of God. That basically we had received the favor of God, but we had done nothing to truly deserve it. It was just God's grace to us. It's his goodness as it had been demonstrated to us. As I look around this congregation, I see a lot of folks who have been recipients of grace. So many of us in this place, including this pastor right here, we've received so much more than what we ever deserved. Especially in relationship to salvation. I never forget on days like this when I celebrate the Lord's Supper that I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner standing under condemnation not deserving anything, not even in my best days, deserving the salvation that Christ gave to me. But through his, through his work and His sacrifice, I've been a recipient of grace. And look, when folks walk into our church, when folks walk into temple this next year, I pray that they would sense that among all of us. That no matter who we are or what our position and what our place, all of us, we're just recipients of grace. And may we demonstrate that to one another. May it be a grace-filled place. May they literally be able to see the grace of God in our worship and in our relationships. It was a grace-filled place. Well, again, it helped that Barnabas stayed around for a little while too. Wouldn't you say? says Barnabas was there after departing. He came back and he stayed a year after he went and got Saul. Now, Barnabas was a good man, verse 24 says, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Even when Barnabas was there, his character and his encouragement added to the work 
of the church at Antioch because he was an encourager. I mean, he was a grace-filled individual that God had sent up there, an encourager. On another time, another night, we'll talk more about Barnabas and just that example of encouragement. But many of you who have been in the church, you recognize, you remember this guy, and you remember his heart. Even when Paul will give up on somebody, Barnabas is there to encourage. And Barnabas is there demonstrating that grace. And, you know, certainly we pray that God will allow people to just sense the grace when they, they walk into this place. But I pray also that God would give us leadership that would just be encouragers, grace-filled individuals that would help others through their times of difficulty and through their times of struggle, that we would be a grace-filled people. Well, the church at Antioch was tradition-free, but also it was grace-filled. And finally, you'll see, at least in these verses for us today, you'll see that it was Scripture-focused. Scripture-focused. Again, it says in verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, what was Saul doing in Tarsus? What was going on in Saul's life? Now, remember, this is a great Apostle Paul eventually, but he, he saw, he's, he's just there in Tarsus. Well, remember when God saved him on the Damascus Road, I mean, God just transformed him, did a work in his life. He comes back to Jerusalem, and I picture it something like this. Here he is. He attends the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, and it's at the end of the service, and I'm sure they're singing just as I am, just as we would have been doing or so, and, the, and Saul walks down the aisle. What is the reception he gets from the Jerusalem church? Suspicion. Fear. If you read the scripture, you'll see that Saul came and as he spoke with the church at Jerusalem, they were concerned that he was like a spy that was coming into their midst. Remember what Saul was about when he experienced this transformation? He was going to apprehend Christians. He had papers he was going to apprehend Christians. So look, the church in Jerusalem, they weren't real excited just to welcome him into the fellowship. What if he's here to take names and to see who needs to be persecuted? So the church at Jerusalem, in so many ways, rejects Saul. And Saul, he's there in that his Arabian seminary days, as Chuck Swindoll calls it. And then he's back in Tarsus, in his home. We don't know exactly what all he's doing, whether he's ministering, what he's, but he's just there in Tarsus. And it's like Barnabas begins in his encouraging way to think about, hey, you know, Saul, this is, this is the place for him. Yeah, this is what God had intended for his life. And he goes and gets Saul and he brings him back. And it says, look at this. It says that when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. So here they come together and they are teaching for a year. Saul and Barnabas teaching the people. Notice the church is scripture focused. 
that they are founded upon God's Word and they are learning, they are studying. And we've got to be a people who continues to love His Word and study His Word. This week, I would encourage you maybe to come by the office and pick up one of the reading guides. Just join us in reading the Scripture together this year as, as we experience His authentic truth in our lives. I want to encourage you to do that. We'd read it together. But we must always be about learning. We must always be Scripture focused. And you know, you, you never get too mature to learn the Scripture, do you? Or the truth of Scripture? I was at a church there in Picayune, Mississippi for a little while, and I remember this older lady coming to me. She was in her 60s or so, and I've got to watch the way I say these things. I just realized that. But anyway, let me start over. This lady who was in her 60s came up to me one day. And uh, I asked her, I said, are you going to join our Bethmore studies? Our Bethmore Bible study. Are you going to join that? Our ladies are getting that done and we'd like for you to come. And look, I was trying to help out the women's ministry. I know who blesses me in the church. And guys, I'm sorry, it's not you. It's the women in the church. So I was trying to help out the women's ministry and recruit and said, why don't you come to the Bethmore study? She stopped and she looked at me. I'll never forget this. She looked at me and she said, well, Dr. Reggie, let me tell you this. I have been a part of more Sunday school classes than you could ever imagine. I've been a part of all kinds of Bible studies. I've been in church all my life. I've heard preachers preach. And I'll just be honest. I don't think there's anything new I could learn. Well, I am a very gracious person. I hope you see that through these years. I wanted to say, well, your life doesn't show it, but your life doesn't show it. But I didn't. I didn't. Refrained. Gracious. Just went on. And I thought to myself that day, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many services you've been to. It doesn't matter how many classes you've attended. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have on the wall. You can still learn from the Scripture. From the Word of God. It should never get old. In the church at Antioch, they were studying. They were learning. You know, I, I want us to be a Scripture-focused church, just as it, this church always has been. I want us to keep that foundation that has been laid and for us to see His Word together. There will be days when you'll see me preach through books. I like preaching through books. Why? Because... I am confronted with all of God's Word, the whole counsel. It's not just my hobby horses I want to preach, the themes that I want to, but the whole of Scripture. It challenges me, and I think it challenges you all. And I think everything that we do has to be Scripture-focused. In the 1970s, there was this guy named Fred Craddock who came in to the, I guess you would say, popular study of preaching in particular. And he said at that point, he said that we need something new in our pulpits. We need something new in our churches. And he challenged preachers to preach in a more narrative way, which there's nothing wrong with a narrative method. 
But in particular, he would, he would sometimes say that all you had to do was just relate a story on Sunday morning, a story from your life, maybe never even mention the Scripture, just a story from your life. And then as people went, they would be challenged by that and they would have to think through it. It would kind of be like a modern-day parable, he said. It was called the New Homiletic. And it was used by many young preachers of the day. And you still see the effects of it, I think, even this day. But so many people got into that and preaching just stories from, from their own lives. Well, it's fine, I think, to share stories from our lives as illustrations, but a story should never be the foundation of a belief or of a faith. The Scripture should be the foundation of our belief, faith. And you know what he said then back in the 70s? He said one of the reasons you ought to do this is because our people are so literate in the Scripture and the Bible, they need a new way of hearing it. They know so much about the Scripture. I say that was in the 70s. Here we are in 2013. May I suggest to you that we have the most biblically illiterate culture and generation that probably our nation has ever seen? We have to be a people who will be Scripture-focused, who learn the Scripture, no matter what our age and that we are teaching the Scripture to the generations behind us to pass it on to the generations that are coming. What a challenge, right? Already. As we just begin to draw back the... As we just begin to draw back the curtains to see this church at Antioch and see what a first-class church looks like, we see these challenging characteristics. Characteristic... Number one, that would put truth above tradition. Characteristic number two, that we would be a grace-filled people. And finally, this coming year, that everything that we do and everything that we're a part of, that we saturate it in Scripture and we ground it in His Word. What a challenge for us in this new year to continue a legacy that God has given us but to make a new difference, to make new advancement, to see a new day as God works in our lives. Maybe today you need to come and commit yourself to that kind of church, that kind of place. Maybe today, some of you in this place, you've been sitting on the sidelines, you've been thinking about joining. Today may be a day for you to come, be an official member here with us. Let's make a difference. Or maybe you've been here for a long time. You said, Brother, you said I've been here and I've, I've been a member for a long, long time. And today you just need to come and recommit, renew yourself. Look, this is much more than a New Year's resolution. This is a New Year's commitment that you make to see God work in your life and to be the part of this church that He wants you to be as we make a difference for the kingdom.